talk IP law. Uh, India, let's get into the show. Yay. <laughs> Jared asks, I have an app idea with my target market willing to test it, but I need to create an app and I'm not a programmer. Any advice? Jared, this, this question pisses me off because I'm asked this all the time. I probably get about 30, 40 of these emails a week. I'm not sure if you're trying to get on the show or if you really mean it. This seems like the simplest thing to do in the world. I mean, meetup.com has 800 different developer meetups and if you want it bad enough, you go to the closest one even if it's 75 miles away. Um, there's just 8,000 communities of developers out there. It, this, Literally when I get an email from somebody saying, hey Gary, I've got the next big idea, but I need a developer, literally immediately I go like this. I read it, I'm checking my, let's, let's reenact it. Oh, let me just catch up on my, DRock, I'll do that later. Let me just read, oh, let me check some emails. Hey Gary, love the show, you're the best person I've ever met. Da, da, da. Oh, by the way, I have a big time idea, except I need a developer. Out of business. If you're not capable, if you're not capable of finding your business partner developer, then how in the world are you gonna win in business? Ideas are shit, execution's the game. Let's move on. Christopher asks, Gary, how can I prevent angel investors interested in investing in my enterprise from potentially stealing RIP? Christopher, this is a really interesting Monday morning show. Christopher, this is also a shit question. <laughs> Ideas are shit, execution's the game. People walking around going, Gary, please sign this NDA before I pitch you my idea as an angel investor. Let me, let me, let me reenact it. Let me just, Indy, I'll get to that later. Oh, let me just catch up on my email. Hey Gary, I'm a really big fan, you're the best guy I've ever met. Anyway, uh, listen, I got this big time idea, but before I pitch it to you, please see the following attachment and sign the NDA because I just can't let you see it. I don't want it stolen. Great, delete, out of Business. If you literally think in 2015 that your idea is so profound and nobody's ever thought of it that when I sit with you and I pitch I go, you're a dope but I'm gonna take this idea and give it to somebody else, you are lost in the reality of the marketplace. Again, if that is where your mindset is at, I just don't see that as a winning mindset for 2015 and beyond. The days of patent, or idea IP, no, every idea has been thought about. There's nobody who's come up with a big time idea. I'm telling you, every idea has been thought about. All of them, every one of them. People executing or having the pieces in place to be able to execute or the right time in their career, the right resources financially, energy, skills, opportunities. Those are the variables, not the ideas. It's a nasty show. Uh, what is this? Uh, what's that? I know. Three things that we've got a straight up. This is a nasty. What is it, episode 96? This is nasty. 96 is nasty, Vayner Nation. Evan asks Do you distinguish between idea people and doers? Is there value in someone with great ideas who needs others to execute? You know, I think that one of the things that I've pounded home in 100 episodes here is how much pride I have in being a practitioner. How much I am, how much I respect practicality. Like how much ideas are shit and execution's the game. That's one of my favorite quotes, right? So, but it's interesting, this, this question as it rolled off of India's tongue made me realize, you know, truth is there is value in it. Uh, you know what, here's a good way to put it. One of the reasons I think I pound ideas are shit and execution's the game is because I think the majority of people that spend a lot of time watching me aren't at a place where they can afford the luxury of ideas. 
Simon paused for profoundness. Let me explain. Ideas are great. Ideas are, you know, you can really revert, I mean, as you know, I like being a contradiction. Ideas are the game, right? Ideas are the seed, you know? Uh, but so many people don't have the luxury of being able to afford the ability to have those ideas. For a long time, I didn't have the luxury of building a company that had great video people who could come with me and tape my garage sale show, and now I do it, I can't wait. I'm so pumped, <laughs> we have to find a town sale. That's where all the action is. Anyway, um, so I think there is a place for idea people in India and Vayner Nation. I think it is a, it's a, uh, <laughs> Ranger people are excited. Uh, I think that you have to have the luxury of those people. I think the reason I'm hedging here is I'm scared so many of you are like, see, he said idea people, and I'm an idea person, and you know, you know, you can't be, a, you can't be, you've gotta be in the right setting to get the right value of ideas, which is a huge company that can afford R&D, research and development, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you just got really lucky that your partner is so goddamn practical that he or she respects your idea skills and wants them. Um, but it is a really rare situation for ideas to, to be valuable in its execution form, especially for the far majority of the bigger nation. Amanda asks, I just watched episode 96 and you went off on IP. I'm an IP lawyer starting out. What is the future and where does IP fit? Uh, sorry. <laughs> that's a great question. Listen, IP is real. By the way, I believe in pendulums, right? pendulums, right? So I'm very down on IP. I think entrepreneurs should not be spending that much time on it. Um, but I actually think like 12, 15, 20, 30 years, 40 years from now, as I think more entrepreneurs of this generation don't think about it, that it will become a white space. And that like there'll be an opportunity to make a lot of money in it because it's still law, <laughs> right? I, you know what? I, I think IP and patents fall into the category of building the biggest building in town by tearing everybody else's building. These, I met this guy, he was like so proud of himself. So he was like, I fucking got all these patents and one day somebody's gonna do something, I'm gonna get them. I'm like, fuck you. And he was like so taken aback because we're like introduced by good friends. I was so pissed. I feel, I hate that. Um, now, IP, like, you know, I think it's important, like if you draw Mickey Mouse, you like don't want other people, like I get it, like I, I think there's a place for it. Um, but I also think the supply and demand of amazing creative or ideas or whatever else can be categorized on IP is in a very different place too because everything can see the day of light now, right? Like you don't have to work at a Disney or a Fox or a media company or like be an amazing scientist like and working at GE, like every, like Kickstarter has created everybody, like it's just that we're living in this incredible, it's not the place that it intuitively feels like the right place to play in right now because the supply and demand alternatives of the marketplace dictate a behavior to me that's a little different. Now, that being said, back to you being an IP lawyer, I think what you should figure out where all your upside professionally is, is can you become a tastemaker, a forward thinker? Can you figure out, I don't know, I'm asking you now, uh, uh, can you figure out a version of becoming the IP lawyer 2.0? Like, what's the future of IP? Question of the day. This is probably one of the most profound questions that I've ever heard somebody ask and hits the nail right on the head um, what the Library of Alexandria project is about, um, how the marriage of 
brand marketing and creatives can um, evolve the creative industries across the board from musicians to artists to writers to inventors to programmers um, to teachers, all, all of these um, creative industries can be evolved if we are willing to let go of something like um, our idea of intellectual property as it has been defined for literally everyone alive. Um, none of us had a say in the definition of intellectual property. And I think Gary V hits it, the nail on the head with uh, what does intellectual property 2.0 look like? What would being an intellectual property lawyer look like taking that to the next level? What does leveling up IP look like? And I think that that is literally going to evolve um, an industry that has uh, been desperately trying to evolve. Um, It's going to take it to a level um, that we have been told not to be comfortable with. Uh, You see, for over 100 years, uh, marketing and distribution have had a marriage. Um, Now in this second and third industrial revolution, we have um, the internet that Gary Vee talks about all the time that has redefined marketing to put branding at the forefront forefront of import when it comes to having a marketing strategy. If you don't have a brand, you will be forgotten. This is something that over 150 years ago, intellectual property laws, specifically copyright, were set up to remedy the fact that, you know, how do we protect creatives when there is no efficient way to have their brand recognized? This was something that was a big threat then, but Gary Vee talks about now that there is no shortage of gaining awareness, that there is uh, plenty of space on the internet for people to have global access immediately. And with proper branding, you bypass the need for copyright. This is something that intellectual property lawyers understand about copyright um, and especially patents and stuff like the Silicon Valley stuff. It's Patents are such a joke now that it's now it's getting that brand awareness to marry you with being first in the mind with the audience of the consumers with your product. That way you don't need a patent to have the same results as a patent. This is the same thing that is applied to creative arts. I mean, nobody is going to draw Mickey Mouse and think that you came up with Mickey Mouse. Like, even if they do, even if you were to raise a child that thought that you created Mickey Mouse, eventually going out into the world, unless you sheltered them for their entire life, they would eventually figure out that you're a lawyer. Or, sorry, that you're a liar. That was probably a Freudian slip. I forgive. 
I'm just messing up left and right. But I, I seek the forgiveness of any lawyers um, that might have taken offense to that. But there, there's an evolution of intellectual property that is coming um, that is going to remedy the knee-jerk reaction of, you know, companies like Disney, who when they saw the internet coming, they, like almost everyone in the 90s, thought the internet was a fad. And when they created the internet, uh, the intellectual property laws that we have now for copyright, especially content distribution, they were made with the idea that the internet would be a fad. I'm trying to put as much emphasis on that as I can. It was not their intent to make internet piracy what it is today. It was their intent to protect their interests on a platform that they saw no future in. If they saw a future in it, they wouldn't have been beaten to the punch by companies like Netflix, by companies like Hulu, by the TV companies who mimicked Netflix and Hulu with their cable boxes. The fact of the matter is, the distribution marketing companies that were married to Hollywood didn't know how to compete when every kid in their pajamas can copy a movie or a TV show easier than they've been able to for a hundred years. It was blowing their mind. This is the same time, remember, that people thought the internet was email. This is very, very tough for people to remember and wrap their heads around because they didn't understand it at that time, let alone now. But they thought the internet was a fad. So there's no problem in making a distribution method completely illegal if you think that it's going to die. And then what happened? It didn't die. The bubble burst, they thought, okay, we made it to the end. And then they didn't. And they realized, wait, the internet is still around? And then Netflix pops up, Hulu pops up, Spotify pops up, and the music industry is almost dead because Spotify was that last nail in the coffin. Netflix has been killing the movie industry, but they're pivoting, trying to make their own movie distribution channels. But what people don't realize is that Spotify takes out all the middlemen for musicians, meaning you don't have to have a label to have mass distribution. But what, you know, Netflix has taught Disney and what Spotify and, you know, iTunes and the, what Hollywood is learning from the music industry is that they have to pivot to try and survive. So what they're going to do is create, you know, Disney flicks. What this means is that intellectual property attorneys are either going to keep on the status quo where they can make a lot of money or they could be at the forefront of an entirely new intellectual property industry. Something right now that is, yes, illegal. Because piracy, to whatever extent, is now attached to internet sharing. It is no longer about stealing. It's about internet sharing. And after a long propaganda campaign from companies like Disney and others, they have convinced us that sharing is stealing 
when we are sharing their things in a way that is much easier than copying a movie by having two VHS players, two getting cassette tapes, and you know, you have to physically hand it to somebody. And when you can digitally hand it to everyone online, they don't know how to just, they can't let that go. What it means is their industry is dying and Hollywood doesn't want to pivot in the way that everyone else in tech is pivoting. Like Silicon Valley, they understand that they don't need patents to be successful. And Hollywood doesn't want to accept that they don't need intellectual property, they don't need copyright to be successful because they will make significantly less money in the creatives that they are the in-between for, that they are the middleman for, that internet sharing threatens. Their whole industry, they know, could become obsolete and they will make significantly less money. They will have to share it with the creatives. That means the directors, that means the the whole staff putting together the movie, the the actors, not just the brands that they own in, you know, very creative ways, um, but they pay very well. So nobody complains about them being controlled by the studios in some way. This internet sharing revolution that can happen is going to tear down copyright as we know it. It's going to tear down patent laws as we know it. And the internet, Intellectual property lawyers on the forefront can help us recreate the internet property, what it means, intellectual property, and turn it into internet property in a way that actually protects their creatives. Where the distributors now don't bring value by just distributing their content to the world. Every creative has that at their fingertips. If they don't provide value, real value then why do the creatives need them? If they could fail on their own, why would they want to risk failing at the hands of somebody else who owns their intellectual property? So the fact of the matter is, is intellectual property needs to be redefined. I think to the point where almost what we consider internet piracy now becomes regular viral marketing, shareability. If people aren't afraid to share content because they think they're going to go to jail for sharing something or reposting it somewhere that they're not sure if just giving the creator credit is enough. What we need is people in between marketers and intellectual property, you know, lawyers on both fronts to help people understand that with the proper branding People could essentially, quote unquote, pirate your material and it's free marketing. You can have free marketing with a proper marriage of branding and your content and giving it away on the internet in a way that has never been possible. We've been trained to think that distribution is the only way to make money as a creative when that's not even the most effective way to make money as a creative. And if we just understood that this distribution marketing only benefits 
the big distributors at the end, then we would find a new way that renders that useless and brings a new forefront of quality content that you don't feel like they're always trying to sell you stuff and it's not about the ads. Your TV shows don't get canceled because they don't have advertiser support. Have you ever had a TV show that just gets canceled on like first, second, or third season and you find out that even though that it had a fan base of millions... They canceled it because, you know, you can't even figure out why. That's because they couldn't get advertiser support. Content like that won't die. Audiences will be all that's needed to keep a show alive. There won't be those middlemen that say, we don't care if this has 5 million dedicated viewers. We need 10 million to be able to sell any products to them. Content will go back to being entertainment rather than a sales pitch. This will improve the integrity of the arts. And it will give power back to the creatives rather than the middlemen. This is the radical revolution of decentralization. Decentralization is not just about cryptocurrency. That is decentralized philosophy applied to currency. Decentralized philosophy is an ethical evolution of all the centralized infrastructures, the vertical infrastructures that we have become accustomed to for roughly 200 years. And now we have lateral organizations, lateral distribution in a way that brings power inherently to the creatives. This is something we should be demanding in every interaction we have with distributors, that we don't need these vertical centralized distributors anymore, that we can have the same success and failure with free lateral distribution with internet sharing that they want to call internet piracy. We can have the same rate of success and failure without them, as we can with them. I don't understand how people don't get that. If we want the success with those vertical distributors, we have to give up all the rights as creatives. But the internet is redefining that. Decentralization is redefining that. Let's look into this more. Um, because this is, this is, I think, the most profound argument creatives can have of our time. And as Steve Jobs said to you know all the creatives out there, think different. And yes, this is crazy. But the crazy ones are often the people who end up changing the world. And with the right amount of marketers that are more interested in impact than profits and the right combination of intellectual property attorneys that are more interested in human rights than profits because freedom of speech as a creative is a human right. And the copyright laws Don't protect the creators, they protect the copiers, the distributors, hence copyrights.
They are the rights of the copiers, not the rights of the creators. And this is something that creatives aren't really explained. So we don't get this naturally. I believed, just as many people do, that the copyrights protect the creatives. Because that's what I was told all growing up. I believed it way into adulthood. Until one day, it clicked. Copyrights are the rights of the copiers, not the rights of the creatives. And that's something I learned as a marketer, is the proper marriage of branding and creativity is all you need. That's why nobody questions if you throw a Gary V video or sound clip into a podcast or a YouTube video, nobody's going to question whether or not, you know, that guy in the video is Gary V. He does great branding. If you talk about a Gary V subject, no one's going to question who the original content creator was. And he doesn't charge you for sharing these things. I doubt it. <laughs> anyone who understands the virality of the internet would want to stop anybody from sharing their content. That's what's made Gary Vee so successful. That's why he's you know, been championing branding since the 90s back when people said he was crazy. And then YouTube stardom validated him. And he's now the leading authority on branding. There's, there's a time for an evolution. And as creatives, we have to band together to realize that we have all the tools that the distribution companies used to make a killing with. And we have them all for free now. And they're telling us that we can't have what they can offer us because they're organized and we're not. So let's organize. Don't just take these thoughts from me. Uh, Neil Gaiman is much more prolific than I and is much more well-spoken on the subject. Um, having first-hand experience, not only as a creative um, in one of the least lucrative forms of creativity right now, writing, um, even Neil Gaiman understands the value of uh, internet sharing. And he goes into this in depth. If you don't know who Neil Gaiman is, don't worry about it. Until recently, I didn't even know. But apparently, he is one of the most prolific uh, living writers of our time. He's uh, gotten famous before the internet. was one of the first writers to start a blog was the first writer to have a successful blog um and he has a, a very strong following on twitter over two million followers on twitter it's uh, very very prolific very profound when he talks for creatives um the industries listen so um I'd, I'd like to transition into his thoughts on this subject.
when when the web started i used to get really grumpy with people uh, because they put my poems up they put my stories up they put my stuff up on the web and i had this a a belief which was completely erroneous that if people put your stuff up on the web and you didn't tell them to lose take it down you would lose your copyright which actually is simply not true um and I also got very grumpy because I felt like they were pirating my stuff, that it was bad. And then I started to notice that two things um, were very, seemed, seemed much more significant. One of which was places where I was being pirated, um, particularly Russia, where people were translating my stuff into Russian and spreading it out into the world, I was selling more and more books. People were discovering me through being pirated. Um, and then they were going out and buying the real books. And when a new book would come out in Russia, it would sell more and more copies. I, and I thought that was fascinating. And I tried a few experiments. Um, and some of them were quite hard. You know, persuading my publisher, for example, to take one of my books and put it out for free. And we took American Gods, a book that was still selling, and selling very well, and for a month they put it up completely free on their website. And you could read it, and you could download it, and, and, and what happened was sales of my books through independent bookstores, because that was all we were measuring it through, went up the following month 300%. Um, and I started to realize that actually you're not losing books, you're not losing sales by having stuff out there. And when I give a big talk now um, on these kind of subjects and people say, well, what about, you know, what about the sales that I'm losing through having stuff copied, through having stuff floating out there? Um, I started asking audiences to just raise their hands for one question, which is, I say, okay, do you have a favorite author? And they say, yes. And I say, good. What I want is for everybody who discovered their favorite author by being lent a book, put up your hands. And then anybody who discovered your favorite author by walking into a bookstore and buying a book, raise your hands. And it's probably about 5-10%, if that, of the people actually discovered an author who is their favorite author, who is the person they buy everything of, and they buy the hardbacks, and they, they treasure the fact that they've got this author. Um, very few of them bought the book. They were lent it. They were given it. They did not pay for it. And that's how they found their favorite author. And I thought, you know, that's really all this is. It's people lending books. And you can't look on that as a lost sale. It's not a lost sale. Nobody who would have bought your book is not buying it because they can find it for free. What you're actually doing is advertising. You're reaching more people. You're raising awareness. Um, and understanding that gave me a whole new idea of the shape of of copyright and of what the web was doing because the biggest thing the web is doing is 
allowing people to hear things, allowing people to read things, allowing people to see things they might never have otherwise seen. And I think basically that's an incredibly good thing. 